A major piece of leadership is what decisions we make and the self-awareness of how we make the decisions and why. Most of us think that we rationally think things out and make choices based on those rational thoughts. On the area of the environment, I'll use my usual proxy for what people make choices about. So flying is something that I did most of my life. I thought it was absolutely essential. I stopped flying. So I'm going to use flying as my example, but it's really a proxy for almost any decision. For all of my life, I flew. Most people have been flying for most of their lives. Most people are not flying right now. For years, I've been telling people if I not flying was an unexpected joy, and I would recommend that people would consider not flying. Everybody would tell me not that it was difficult or hard, but they would say it's impossible not to fly. They chose to continue flying, even as they knew the effect that flying had on the world. And I should mention that now countless people are telling me they're not flying. It's because of a virus. It's not because of their internal choice, but it's imposed on them. Nonetheless, constantly people are telling me, Josh, it's amazing, not flying. I'm learning about all these things in my community. I'm connecting with people around me. I could have done this. Well, they don't say this last part. They could have done this a long time ago. And I point out to them they could have done this a long time ago. So now that they're doing it, they're finding out something that they could have found out long ago. They could have saved lots of money. They could have saved lots of pollution. Why did they not make this choice consciously before? Why did they choose to continue doing what they were doing? If you ask them, they'll give you an answer. Oh, what I do doesn't matter. It's so valuable that I fly, that it's worth it. Things like this. Most people think that they rationally think things out and then make decisions based on this reasoning process in their minds. If you look very carefully at your thought process, now I'm not you, I don't know your thought process, I only know mine, but I read about this and at first I found it implausible, it didn't seem right, but the more that I paid attention to how my thought process worked, it seemed accurate that apparently we choose things based on our emotions, we want something, and then once we start doing it, or once we commit to that choice, then the rational part of our mind rationalizes why that choice was the right choice. Again, we think we choose rationally, but it seems more that we go with our gut. Some part of our mind chooses for us, and then we rationalize it. This makes sense to me. Evolutionarily speaking, it seems that our ancestors, I mean, they're animals that make choices right now. If you have a dog and you put a bone to one side and water the other side, sometimes you'll pick the bone, sometimes you'll pick the water. So choices can be made without rationality. Probably our ancestors had the ability to choose, evolutionarily speaking, our ancestors had the ability to choose before they had the ability to, to have reason. That tells me that we're, the reason is not necessary for choice. It might have some input. Jonathan Haidt is a former guest on this podcast. He's a, a professor at NYU. He's written these great, amazing, best-selling books. The one that made the biggest impression on me was The Righteous Mind. The Coddling of the American Mind, I think, was sold more, but I think it was in the happiness hypothesis before. He created an illustration of how the mind works that I found very helpful. And first, you have to contrast it with the old model. He presents it something like charioteers with horses, horses representing the emotions. They're powerful. They're strong. They're not that smart. The charioteer, smart, not so powerful, but has the reins and the whips and can get the horses to move in different directions and speed up and slow down. People think the rational part of the mind is like the charioteer. It's guiding the emotions. So we choose based on this rational part of us, and then we go with that. He proposes a different model. He proposes a model like an elephant with a rider. What's the difference? Elephants are significantly larger than horses. They're also more intelligent than horses. The rider, compared to 
a charioteer, a rider on an elephant can't really tell the elephant where to go. In this model, the emotions choose, so this is the elephant decides where it wants to go, and the rider has some influence, can kind of poke the elephant to move in one direction or another direction, but mostly the elephant does what it wants. Once the elephant chooses, the rider decides, that's what I always wanted to do in the first place, and the rider will, I think he says the rider is like an advocate, so once the, the elephant goes in a direction, usually goes in the right direction for itself, because it's smart. It's not stupid. It moves in some direction. And then the rider says, that's why I wanted to go in that direction. That's the right direction. Sometimes the rider can poke it a little bit and it'll go in a different direction. And that's his model. I want to present a new model that takes his and goes one step further. I think his model makes a lot of sense for our ancestors living out in wherever their ancestors lived, evolutionarily speaking, 100,000 years ago, a million years ago. They lived in a world where if they wanted food somewhere around there was uh, plants and there were animals that they could eat and there was water and they could, that they could drink. And in this, I would call it a benign world, the elephant, our intellect, our ancestors' intellect, it knew uh, berries over there, there's root vegetables over there, there's leafy vegetables over there, there's maybe a predator over there. And based on that, the elephant would move around, go toward the berries or away from the predator in what would make sense for it. We do not live in that world anymore. Because in our world, most of our environment is city. Most of it is, there's a lot of advertising. It's not a benign environment where things like plants are just growing as plants will grow or birds flying as birds will fly. There are those things, but there's lots of advertising. There's lots of organizations and lots of people and lots of systems that want to guide us in a certain direction. So I still would represent our emotions as a large, powerful animal. But it's not an animal that's just choosing among different directions it can go to like an elephant might. I think of it more as an ox with a ring through its nose. An ox is a very powerful animal, much more powerful than a human. But if a human grabs the ring through the ox nose and pulls it, all of that power in the ox is neutralized and it goes in the direction that the person pulls it. I think of our emotions and our intellect more like an ox, a, a large animal, and think of it as smart as an elephant. So it's an ox that if left to its own devices, if it's in a benign environment, it will make great choices. Oh, and, and there's still the rider on top of it, like on an elephant. If it were just in a benign environment, it would act like the model that Jonathan Haidt said. The ox will move in the direction it wants. It's pretty powerful. The rider will say, that's where I wanted to go in the first place. But we're not in a benign environment. We're in an environment where people are pulling on that ring. So this ox, whatever direction it wants to go, when our urges, when our cravings get activated, by an advertisement that says, buy this sugar water, it'll make you happy, or buy these jeans, it'll make you sexy, our urges pull us in those directions. And then the rider afterwards says, that's what I wanted to do in the first place. So we're not in a benign environment. We're being yanked around by our noses all the time. We think that we're choosing rationally, but we're not. Say you're on a diet and you really don't want to eat that chocolate cake, but you really like chocolate cake. At some point, Someone lock, if someone locks you in a room with the chocolate cake and there's nothing else to do, at some point, probably the chocolate cake is going to go in your mouth. And here's how it's going to happen. You're going to feel overwhelmed with the urge to eat that chocolate cake. Just before you eat it, you're going to think something like, you know, if I eat this now, I'll eat a little bit less later and it's actually net going to benefit me or something like that. But it's not going to happen that you thought that and that led you to choose to eat it. You chose to eat it and then you felt that way. And we're in this world where people are pulling around the, the ring we think that we're guiding ourselves, but really someone's pulling on the ring, the ox moves in that direction, and the rider says, that's why I wanted to go in this direction in the first place. 
And we think that we're choosing this stuff rationally. So when we choose to do all these polluting behaviors, we're being pulled around by our noses. We get into, ha into these habits. That's the model that I think is happening. We're generally being pulled around by our urges, by our cravings. Look at Facebook or pay take any of the social media places or all these apps. We figured out how to gamify things. We figured out how to draw on people's urges and get them to do things. And then we do these things, not because we want to, not because we expect that it'll be emotionally rewarding, just because we've been pulled in that direction. Or even at the moment that we choose that we think it's rationally the best thing to do. Afterward, we think that, but not in the moment. For that matter, these companies hire the best and brightest of our generation, not to figure out how to save you labor, like in the first industrial revolution, or how to save you time, but how to trigger your emotion. I'm sorry, how to trigger your cravings. These companies, Facebook, etc., or advertising agencies, they figure out how to excite your cravings. They figure out how to pull that ring in your nose. I think we should be aware of this because no one chooses to pollute, but we all choose things that lead us to pollute. If we actually thought about it, we would probably make different choices, as evidenced by when people do make different choices, they're happy. That is right now that people aren't flying. They're glad that they're not flying. That's what they keep telling me because we're not in a benign environment. We are being pulled around by our noses all the time. And this suggests some things we can do about it. For example, if you're a rider on this thing, you might want to make your environment as benign as you can. I found this out through, I used to have in my apartment, ice cream, chips, and pretzels all the time. That would set up my ox to move in those directions to eat those things. And I couldn't stop myself. I think that Jonathan would say that my elephant seeing these things around would start going toward the chips and pretzels and ice cream. What I would say now is not that it's just chips and pretzels and ice cream that happen to be there. There's people who manufacture those things and they are pulling me around by the, the people who made those things with the packaging, with the flavor, the, how they engineer it. They're leading my ox by the nose. Then the ox follows and the rider says, oh, I wanted those things in the first place. What I could do instead, what I do now, I simply don't have those things in my apartment. And so I'm not being pulled around by the nose or by anything. My elephant or my ox is satisfied. It's not being yanked around or, or, or led by its urges. Another thing is you might keep your ox well satisfied. Do things that are emotionally rewarding and then the cravings won't be so important. So this is my habits. I do lots of things that keep my ox satisfied, not being pulled off in different directions because it's pretty happy. The more that you master your self-awareness, the more that you master how you perceive things. And I don't mean master like master and slave. I mean master like master an instrument so that when you play the instrument, you play it so masterfully that you're really expressing yourself through it. So the more that you master your emotions, the more that you master how you perceive things and how you interpret things so you can perceive things in different ways, the less that ring, it's like taking the ring off so you don't have a ring through your nose. All right, so let me summarize. This was all about decision-making and how we believe that we choose things in order to choose things for our reasons. The old model that a lot of people have is that our intellect makes choices that our emotions and behavior follow. Research seems to show what Jonathan represents as an elephant, that our emotions choose pretty well, but and then we rationalize afterwards. And I would say that's the case in a benign environment, but in an environment where everyone's trying to get you to do what they want you to do for their benefit, not necessarily yours, but they'll tell you it's for your benefit, but they're really exciting your cravings. That's like more like an ox with a ring in its nose, and they're pulling us around by, by the nose. The behavior follows the cravings that were induced by others and emotions come along. And then the rider comes along saying, that's what I want to do in the first place. The rational side is not really as active as we think. And if we want to improve our lives, it helps a lot to train, to master our emotions, 
to master our perception, to understand, to increase our self-awareness and to make our environment devoid of all these cravings so that we can do what we want for the reasons that we want, to make our environment benign again.